0: Today's guest, the very first draft pick of the Edmonton Oilers who would become team president, the man affectionately known as Vish, Kevin Lowe. Joe Tilly's great Canadian sports show, coming up! Today's guest was born in La Chute, Quebec. He was a defenseman. He was captain of the Quebec Rampart. The Oilers' first ever draft pick in 1979, played 1,254 games for the Oilers and Rangers over 19 NHL seasons. The Oilers' all-time leader in games played, winner of the King Clancy Memorial Award, a seven-time All-Star. He won six Stanley Cups. He is a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program kevin Lowe, kevin great to have you here my friend
1: hey it's it's my pleasure my pleasure
0: you know we like to begin at the beginning so we start at Le Chute, quebec uh on a dairy farm i believe you're raised uh I, I when did you realize that you were going to be a hockey player
1: well i played my junior uh in the quebec league for the quebec ground parts and um I think uh, I started when uh, you know the, the draft age was was different back then, and uh, so my first year junior would have been seventeen, and uh, I and we weren't drafted till we were nineteen. So after after my my second year junior, there was lots of talk. That's the first year the NHL came in, uh, the, uh came to Edmonton, and so uh, you know you started seeing your name in the hockey news and. Uh, and uh, an agent, uh, agent started looking for me, and, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you never really know, right? Even even though you're the team's first pick and you get drafted to the NHL. Uh, I mean, I know this in hindsight, but I also knew it as a kid at the time that I'm still a long way from playing in the NHL. There's a lot of work to do to actually make it in the NHL. What, uh,
0: what was it about? Your play that that made you a success, what made you somebody a, a player that the Oilers would want to
1: draft? Yeah, I, good question. Uh, you know, our, our the Oilers' longtime scout uh, Barry Fraser just passed away uh, uh, recently, and uh, you know Barry scouted me. Uh, he also scouted uh, pretty much uh, the entire Oilers uh, roster for. 20 years, and um, you know I was I was a two way defenseman in junior. Um, um, that was an era where there was lots of goal scoring, and and uh, and teams were appeared to be most interested in you know offensive guys, uh, guys who put up a lot of points. But uh, my game was uh, you know defense first. But you know I, I my last year junior I scored 86 points which, uh, Dave, my old friend Dave Smick, who used to bug me all the time, he'd say, well,
2: was that one of the years that
1: the Quebec League played without goalies uh, for me to get 86 points? <clears throat> but, um, you know, got to Edmonton, uh, uh, there was lots of opportunity, There was, a, was the Warriors the came from the WHA, entered the NHL, being the first pick, uh, obviously gave me lots of opportunity, but it, it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't too long before. Uh, well, about a year later, when Paul Coffey came to the team, that quickly realized that uh, probably offense wasn't going to be my game. If I was going to play the Oilers, and I'd have to focus on defense. And like to think I did that well over over twenty plus years.
0: Well, the Oilers certainly needed uh, your defense. No doubt about that. Uh, so. You lost your father when you were 13 years old, which must have be been very difficult. Who were your mentors, mentors uh, growing up, and, and uh, how difficult was that uh, for you?
1: Uh, well, we <clears throat> I should start by saying I was actually born in Hawkesbury, Ontario, which is about 20 minutes from La But I changed uh, after a few years in the NHL, I changed my birthplace to La Chute, Quebec, because I, re- I grew up in La Chute. I, mean, I was born in the Hawkesbury. Oxbury Hospital, but spent my whole life in those Chutes and, and uh, didn't actually grow up on a dairy farm. Uh, family, we owned a dairy. Um, a lot of people thought we grew up. I grew up on a farm because uh, the dairy actually had a, uh, a farm, uh, a barn right beside it. and uh, But we made milk and ice cream and cheese and uh, we uh, we imported uh you know, all the, all the milk and from the farmers in the surrounding area and stuff, but we had a large family. Um, I was the third, I'm the third youngest of, I think 35 or 36 of my generation. And, and, uh, we were fortunate to have a lot of sports around the family, particularly hockey and, um, and my dad and, and my uncles, uh, and the entire family was very instrumental in, in me uh growing up or all of us growing up as occupiers when my dad did pass away when i was 13 my brother kenny was five years older than i am um, uh he was certainly a uh a mentor and 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 uh filled in a bit of that gap and then i had an older cousin that his father had passed away uh similarly and my, and my dad uh, and uncles had really taken him under their shoulders so he, uh, he did the same thing for me, and he, he played for St. Francis Xavier uh, uh, University hockey team for a lot of years with Pierre Paget, and, uh, you know, so he had a lot of, uh, he played at a high-level hockey, so uh, Carmelo was, uh, was really uh, instrumental in, in me moving forward after my dad passed in terms of, you know, being a hockey player.
0: You uh, ended up in, with the Quebec Rampart and uh, you were the first English-speaking captain of the, of the Rampart. Uh, how, how did you earn that distinction?
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess my play, you know, uh, Ron Rossette uh, was uh, a well-known coach in the Quebec League. Uh, he was a great man, um, you know, a great junior coach and uh, played for Ron. He actually drafted me. And, uh, yeah, it was a real honor to become the uh, become captain. Martin Madden uh, was another name in Quebec. Uh, Martin took over after Ron Reset was recruited by the Schwenningen Cataracts to come in and try to face that program. So my last year junior, I was actually captain for, for Martin Madden uh, as general manager. And, um, I, you know, I've, throughout my minor playing days, uh, you know, I, I think I learned a lot of leadership. Uh, well, I know I learned a lot of leadership from my father and, 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 uh, my family. And, um, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I have to say, we're, we're talking about the, like the mid, mid to late seventies where the PQ government was in power. Uh, separatism was on everyone's, uh, uh, you know, was a ta- discussion topic. Um, and, uh, so having been the captain, uh, in Quebec at that time, I, I, I think uh, I probably had to do more than the average person to to, to be justified as captain being an English speaking person. But I have I have nothing but fond memories of my days in Quebec City. Uh, love playing there. It's a shame that the Quebec never got an NHL team back because uh, I know that um, you know they had some of the staunchest hockey fans uh, in, in in the world.
0: What what a great hockey town Quebec is was and and uh, you're right I mean if anybody deserves a franchise it would it would be Quebec so then you you uh, get drafted by the orders thanks to Barry Fraser and his work and and uh, uh, and it is the rookie who hits the uh, score sheet when the orders play their first game at Old Chicago Stadium uh, Britt Callaghan is going to set you up I think uh, feeds cross ice there you go. <laughs> That's with the backhand, footage. beats the legendary Tony Esposito, Wayne Gretzky, who also assisted on the play, grabbed the puck and handed it to you. Uh, now, so here's your first NHL goal in your first NHL game where you're thinking, oh, man, this is easy. I probably have a lot of
1: these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that brings back a lot of memories. Of, you know, what I remember about that play was, um, you know, we the Oilers came from the World Hockey Association, you know, there was, they, they they lost in the finals the year before against Winnipeg. They obviously had Wayne and they had they had a good nucleus of of sort of uh, middling-age players uh, that still had, you know, lots of time to play in the NHL. And then a bunch of guys, you saw Lee Fogel and my longtime defense partner in there, he was picked up in the expansion draft uh, uh, from the Buffalo Sabres and Colin Campbell, the NHL executive, he was another player picked up uh, in the expansion draft. So, we had a lot of good mentors, um, but anyhow, we went into that season going well. A lot of unknown for everyone. And of course, Chicago Stadium, October tenth, nineteen seventy nine. I mean, we were down two nothing before we even knew what happened, and that building was so loud, and and um, thought, oh my goodness, this is this could be a long season. That you know, we're you know, this is the NHL. I'm not sure we're we're quite. I know I'm not ready for this. I'm not sure we are as a team. And that goal made the made the game two one, and it was my reaction was, "Wow, we're just hey, we're in the game, we got a chance kind of thing." And then of course you saw Wayne Gretzky pick up the puck that you know so typical of Wayne. I didn't even think about that. I mean, he brought it over and handed me the puck and said, "Hey, you know your first goal," and you know thanks. And he goes, "No, no, that's the owner's first goal in the history of the NHL." You know that's that just shows that Wayne's you know where his mind mindset is uh, uh, you know that much. Further above than everyone else, but in terms of yeah, scoring a goal in the first game, uh, I don't think for a second I thought I was going to fill the net, but uh, uh, it, it sure was nice. It's it's one of my it's one of my really good memories in the game for sure.
0: Yeah, I think you guys ended up losing game four too, but you know you had a, you had a
1: decent first season. You know,
0: like uh, you had a very young club as you mentioned with with some with some nice pieces from the expansion draft, and I think I saw Dave Lumley on the ice there, if I'm not mistaken. But great talent. Uh, uh, and you guys seem to take care of each other both on and off the ice. Was, was that the case?
1: Yeah, we sure did. Uh, you see Lee Foglin in the middle there. I mean, he, I mean, we all, we all point to him. We, we had great leadership and we learned a lot of real positive traits. Uh, um, and, you know, I really feel for, for young players that you know, join any sports franchise, but in our case, the NHL. Perhaps the leadership isn't isn't what we had. Uh, you know, we had guys like Al Hamilton. I, I, I mentioned uh, uh, Colin Campbell. Um, uh, you know, B.J. McDonald, Ron Chipperfield was our first captain, mm-hmm. and and uh, just really, you know, smart, uh, classy people. Uh, that respected the you know the, the game and and everything about it and and so you know it's a great place for 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 young players you know Wayne was still only eighteen Mark Messier was eighteen um, you know and then you know the a couple of years later Paul Coffey Grant Fear Glenn Anderson those guys all came we were a young group so to have great leadership uh, was essential and 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 of course I didn't mention Glenn Sather Glenn was really uh probably the the ringleader in terms of all that stuff in, in terms of supporting one another and and uh in in whatever we do on and off the ice so uh it it you know that was uh i mean when we look back and and the, the success we had you have to sort of start dig into the why did it all happen you know it was magic you know uh it caught a little magic in the bottle no question but but there, i mean there was a lot of leaders a lot of guys capable of being the leaders but we're we are happy to come in and, and earn our stripes uh, the right way and, and, um, and gain the respect of, of the team and the organization to become leaders after the group of people that i would mentioned uh, previously.
0: Yeah, as a kid growing up in, in Edmonton, uh, watching you guys play was a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, back in the day, you, you, you were asked about uh, Wayne Gretzky. This is a piece that ran at that
1: time.
2: So he rarely lets his guard down. I mean do you ever hear what
1: Brian Mulroney or President Reagan does away from his office? I mean you never hear about that, just like you never hear what Wayne Gretzky does.
2: So two hours later we got no burst over. We figured out why. <laughs> we were, we were talking <laughs>
1: he doesn't the general public will see that side of him. There's very few people to see that that side of him
0: so what was going on at the time i mean uh, obviously a young guy is having some fun there uh uh but what do you remember about that
1: particular time? What sticks out when you see that clip well that that uh that's a piece uh that's um, a a documentary that we're all so fortunate to, to have uh, of us back in those days, and we have uh, um, uh, Bob McEwen and uh, his brother Terry and Mike Boland to thank for that. Uh, um, it it he, uh, you know uh, Bob had convinced Glenn Sather that uh, you know this was a pretty special group, and uh, they'd like to do the behind the scenes sort of NFL film style film on the Oilers and and I don't want to go on you know too much about it but um we had really the the key there was the fact that you know Glenn endorsed it and remember him saying hey this this is something you guys when you're when you're much older than you are today you're gonna appreciate uh you know that it's it's there and of course uh it was a great story we lost the first year uh, to Calgary uh, when they were filming that, and they decided to come back, and then we we won the Stanley Cup, so it had a good ending. Um, but but you know the key again was Bob McCune and his brother Terry and Mike Bull, and were really uh, they had been around pro sports themselves. Uh, They're very respectful. We had, you know we they had earned our respect in terms of you know whatever they shot that it wouldn't be used in. A, you know, untoward fashion. And that would be embarrassing to anyone. It was just a great piece of hockey history. And, uh, uh but that particular night was a dinner. They said, Hey, listen, you know, you guys you know, we hang out a lot together. How about we, uh, we, we find your favorite restaurant, have them come in and cater it, uh, give you guys a few beers and stuff and we'll just film it and see what comes of it. So it was a, it was a pretty important piece of that, uh, that documentary to really let people in, you know, behind the scenes. And I was mentioning in that my clip was that, you know, particularly back then, I mean, nowadays, you know, you pretty much see the players all the time, 24-7, social media, they're tweeting, uh, uh, they're on the news cycles all the time. Uh, You know, back then you didn't see any of that stuff. So uh, we're proud to have been a part of that and been a real sort of uh, uh, in hockey pioneers to uh, that type of footage.
0: You know, you think about the players you had and the types of salaries that you guys would have to have today to keep all that stuff together. But the owners weren't exactly known as an extravagant club. I mean, Peter Pocklington didn't throw money around. Uh, uh, But you had other opportunities to make money. And uh, I remember, uh, well, here we have a little bit of a a, a, commercial you made here. Dad, it's Kevin Lowe.
1: (laughs) Stick Sack, (laughs) Christmas. Stick Sack, the personal hockey stick bag.
0: Uh, Okay, what do you think? Uh, (laughs) Is that a
1: lucrative deal for you, Kevin? Oh, yeah. I can't even remember, to be honest, but. I did a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, not, 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 uh, necessarily endorsing hockey products, but, or sports products, but, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid, uh, you know, I, first of all, being a professional hockey player, you know, you, you train and you, you have your time traveling, et cetera, et cetera, but you have a lot of downtime. And, uh, uh, I just wanted to, to utilize that the best possible way. Uh, chance to make a little extra money on the side. Not very lucrative, I might add. I guess all relative, I suppose. Um, but I was, you know, in anything I did early in my career, I was preparing for life after hockey. I mean, it, I used to be asked, what are you going to do when you're not a hockey player anymore? I said, well, I'd like to do one of two things. I'd like to stay in the game if I can, and, you know, coaching, managing, scouting, and whatever on the hockey side. And if not, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely take a stab at being on the on the." On the media side of the game you know in broadcasting or, or whatever it might be so you know i did i had a i worked at a radio station i worked for the newspaper uh i did sales in the summertime and again um, not that it was really necessary from a financial standpoint but it was just taking advantage of the off time to be prepared for for life after hockey which i knew wouldn't last forever
0: right the mo- the amount of money that the players are making today is not what when, when you guys were playing back then. A lot of guys had part-time jobs. That was that was a common thing. Uh, now, you, were you you know, despite scoring in your first goal, in your first game, uh, you weren't exactly an offensive threat. Uh, 84 goals over 19 seasons, 431 points in 1,254 games, but 1,498 penalty minutes. You got the nickname Vish, which is short for vicious. Who started that? How did you get that?
1: Well, it it uh, it really Paul Messier or Mark Messier. Paul Messier's uh, sorry, Paul Messier, Mark Messi, his brother. Uh, I, I got him my haircut one time, and he thought I looked like Sid Vicious. But there, there was, you know, <laughs> uh, and then that sort of uh, he would call me Vish, and then uh, then I guess my play, uh, you know, off uh, on the ice probably was indicative of that. I mean, I wasn't, um, by no means was I a tough guy. Uh, that was a whole nother subset of, of players that played in the NHL, but I'd like to think that I played the game, you know, hard. And, uh, you know, I played for keeps, I- including in practice, you know, I, we, I think we, we, we practiced really hard. We, you know, we're never out there trying to hurt one another, but it was, you know, yeah, I always thought that he had to play at a high level even in practice to, to be ready for the games. So um yeah, I I yeah, I, <laughs> I look at some of those clips now and I go, uh, you know, I was just I grew up as a kid, uh I just hated losing. So, you know, whatever it took to keep to keep the team in, in you know, in in uh in winning contention, whether it's, to play an offensive game, obviously to play defensive game is my part or to have to once in a while step it up, you know, and I, I, uh, you don't see that as much anymore in the NHL, uh, although uh, it would be nice to see once in a while just to, <clears throat> when you don't see things going um, when things aren't going well for a team, then, you know, that some guys step up and try to make a difference within the game to, to try to, uh, hey, listen, you know, Wayne, if it wasn't Wayne or Mark or or Yari or Paul or Andy um, or Fiersy he's standing on his head. Uh, it's not like I had to do it often, but, you know, every so often I was like, okay, you know, you got to step up the game here where not, things aren't going well. And, you know, that means to get a big hit or to be a little more aggressive to try to change the, the, the momentum in that particular game.
0: Yeah, not. I wouldn't say yeah. You were dirty, uh, not that much of a scrap or anything like that. But definitely played the game physical. And actually, we have a check from you—a bone-crushing check at the blue line right here. And this is during the All-Star game, <laughs> uh, not a game where you're expected to see a lot of hits like that. But this is a doozy. <laughs> Was
1: uh, I don't well, even know who that is. I, that I, I think I think I might have tripped or something. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <clears throat> no, I, I listen, what the NHL, what the All-Star game has developed into is, I mean, I'm, I'm fully supportive of everything the NHL does, but the, the, the game is, is really disappointing to, to watch what it is today. I mean, luckily, they're trying all these other things to, to make it interesting, and I can understand the players, you know, I, I don't know why they should be worried about injury or why they don't play at a higher level. I mean, they do in practice, and and that was more sort of my thinking. Um, you know, going to the All Star game, it's like I'm not going to go there and try to be a you know fancy player, and I'm just going to play the game. Kind of what got me there, and you know, in that era, there was guys. I remember there was there was one game that was it was amazing. It was like a it was like a regular season game. The, you know, the the Eastern Conference had guys like Rick Talked playing and and Cam Neely and. And, uh, it was a heck of a hockey game. You know, I f- it finished like it was like 7 6 or 8 7 or something. And, you know, there was guys were playing, playing hard to win the hockey game like they would do in practice, not like in the Stanley Cup playoffs against an opposition or even in the regular season. It was, you know, I, I think you can still play at a competitive level without worrying about injury, but uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I, I, I think that's sort of, will be my legacy is that, you know, if I was stepping on the ice, I was playing for keeps. I was playing to win.
0: Right. Well, at least they're playing. I think, you know, the fact that they're playing three on three tournaments in the Star game, uh, at least it opens it up for offense. So you can see some skill, uh, you know, and then that type of thing. But yeah, uh, it was it was getting pretty weak there in terms of uh, the effort you would see in, in the end of the game. So, so let's get back to the uh, you talked about eight seven games in the All Star, but the owners had a lot of eight seven games. And after a couple of uh, setbacks in the in the early years, you guys finally reached the promised line. What was it like to finally get a chance to lift that Stanley Cup for the first time?
1: Well, it's it's I'm asked often. You know, my favorite memory, and of course. It'll always be lifting the Stanley Cup for the first time. Um, even thinking about lifting it, you know, we, we the Islanders were, that was the third time we played them in the playoffs. Uh, we played them in 82 and then 80, 83, then again, 84. And, and, of course, they had won four Cups in a row. They were the, uh, of most recent times, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, they were the ones, you know, multi-talented, uh, super-disciplined, uh, had everything uh, you know from A to Z in terms of being a champion, and so we we learned from them greatly. We probably benefited from them by you know by the time we played them in '84 to win, not to take anything away from ourselves, of course, but they were pretty beat up. You know, they had, had a long runaway of of playoff games. I mean, heck, they went some like 19 series without a without a, a defeat, and uh, that takes its toll on players. But um, you know, I grew up in the Montreal area, uh, La Chute's about an hour out of Montreal, grew up watching the Canadians hoist the Stanley cup practically every spring. And, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, and th- those are, you, you look at that and you go, well, well, that's, that's, that's something that happens. in you know, Hollywood it would never happen for a person like me. And, and so when, you know, on May 19th, 1984, uh, when uh, Dave Lummi, you mentioned Dave earlier, scored an empty net goal for us to go up 5-2 with a matter of seconds left. That was the first moment where I actually thought to myself, you know, in, in, in you know probably five or ten minutes, I'm going to have a chance to get my hands on the Stanley Cup. And how amazing is that?
0: Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, I was, uh, you know, growing up in Edmonton, obviously, an Others fan. And, and, and uh, I got a chance to be there. I was covering... Uh, well, I just happened to be in Edmonton that weekend. I called Bill Tuelli, and I was working at CFCN Lethbridge at the time. And uh, I I said, "Can I get a press pass for the game tonight?" I said. He said, "Yeah, yeah, no problem." So I went down to, you know, the Edmonton Coliseum, and 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 uh, and uh, it was an all access. I was in the, in the press box and the dressing room afterwards. What an <laughs> ex- incredible experience! I got to drink uh, champagne out of the Stanley Cup while well, we were drinking beer. I mean, a few reporters were pouring beer in the Stanley Cup, and 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 uh, Randy Randy Gray says, "Come here, come here!" report on it out. He put champagne in it. <laughs> what an experience! What a what a, what a what classy a guy. Champagne. That just just yeah, he was such a classy guy. He was on the show not that long ago, but. What, you know, amazing. Did, did it feel like at the time, I mean, you guys had all that talent and, you know, you you finally, you know, got over, you know, you finally taking care of the Islanders who were, who really were your, your, your Lex Luthor, right? Like, uh, and uh, you, you got a chance to get past the Islanders and get, you know, to the promised land. Did it feel like this was never going to end?
1: No, I mean, if the, the, to be honest the feeling is you're just by that time of the season you're 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 so beat up i mean you're you're obviously on cloud nine uh, for a long period of time it's such a great feeling you know you um, uh was able to bring the cup home to la chute uh, for family and friends to to see and uh you know a lot of celebration but uh you quickly learn that okay that's that's over, and uh you know by the time uh August rolls around uh you know that um well, what you want to do is you want to try to win again you want you you want you want to uh replicate that feeling, and I think that's you know that's what drove us uh even for the group of us that were able the fortune to win a sixth in New York was you know really our jobs were to start the season and try to win the Stanley Cup. And if you didn't win the cup, uh, you know, you felt like the the, the season was a failure. Not every player that's played in the NHL has so f- been so fortunate uh to, to, to be able to be in that mindset to know A you got a chance and and B what you know, of course the experience what it feels like and to be able to grasp it when you're when you're in the playoffs to be able to, you know, to grasp, you know, get in that that, um, that groove and, and, and win another, win another cup. But your question was, did you feel like it was never going to end? And we, we never took it for granted. We wanted that feeling all the time. We did the work and, and, and have the discipline to be able to achieve that.
0: 84, 85, you do it again, uh, in 85 and then 86, uh, you know, the wheels fell off the own goal by, by Steve Smith. and, And then the, uh, the, uh, the Sports Illustrated article came out about the drug use, uh, alleged drug use and everything else that was going on. And so at that point, did you think, uh, I mean, you couldn't wait to put uh, that, that year in the rearview mirror?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the flames. They had a heck of a team throughout that era, but I, I really, you know, to this day will say, they beat us fair and square, no question. But we we were we were much looser as a team that year in the playoffs, and and we didn't have the kind of resolve and, and discipline that we had in the previous uh, playoffs. And it and it you know it ended up costing us. Uh, you know, people talk about the uh, you know the unfortunate goal um, uh, that that lost the game, but really we should never have been in that position prior to that, and I, I mean, I'm not going to get into detail on things, but I, we were definitely not as as rock-solid disciplined uh, as we had been in previous years. So uh, it was a matter of, all right, uh, that wasn't a lot of fun. And, um, you know, let's get back on the horse and, and get after it. And You know, we had uh, probably, although I think the 85 team was voted by the fans as the greatest team of all time, I really think the 87 team was, uh, particularly after, uh, you know, Glenn Saylor brought uh, um, Kent Nielsen in and uh, Ray O'Rex-Lane. And, um, you know, we, we, that that team was, was incredible. And, and, uh, you know, we did go seven games with the Flyers. Uh, I think that was a little bit, again, credit to the Flyers, but, and Ron Hextall of course, stood on his head, but we weren't, you know, we were, Again, sort of slipping a bit, I think, in that series of the kind of resolve and discipline that we'd showed in previous cup years. But um, you know, we were able to hang in there and win the win the third cup.
0: Yep. And then the fourth cup in eighty-eight, and then after the fourth cup, uh, the Gretzky trade. Uh how did that uh hit you when that trade was made? And uh, you know, what 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 was that what did it feel like when all that was coming down in, in, at the end of the eighty eight season?
1: you know my memory of the whole thing was it wasn't a shock as it was to everyone else you know there was there was rumors there were you know there were there were <clears throat> concerns uh, i mean wayne never mentioned anything to me but but uh you know guys talked to one another and and there was definitely contract just con- concerns and and um so I was actually in uh in Newfoundland at Bob Cole's golf tournament on the day of the trade, actually playing in the same portion as Marty McSorley. And um and uh Marty got the call off the course, no cell phones in those days. And yep. uh, it was you know it was a surreal time. You you know it, it was you knew something was going on, you didn't know what it was until so sort of everyone got back to the to the clubhouse and and of course People were in disbelief. Um, um, you know, for me, it, the, the hardest thing for me was I really had a sense that when we did start the season, got to training camp, that, you know, I got a sense that a lot of players were like, you know, like, okay, why are we playing? And um, so I really felt it was my job to, um, you know, to in terms of a leader on the team after – after Wayne had left, of course, Mess was still there and, and Glenn Anderson and and uh, you know a bunch of guys that had won the cups. Randy Grade was still there. You know, we still had good leadership, but but the morale was down and 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 you know we had to we had to really dig in and <clears throat> particularly with some of the the key players because they, they felt that uh what uh what the orders did was was just wrong and and I was for me it's business right i mean unless you're in there and and know both sides of the story wayne appeared to be happy or was happy and uh you know in hindsight it worked out well for everybody i guess but uh um you know it 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 that winning that fifth cup was a big thing for all of us and again you know it wasn't about uh proving anything about wayne uh being there or not being there it really was it really uh, acknowledged or, or you know, pointed out to people that, yeah, I mean, Wayne is the greatest of all time, but uh, you can't win that many championships without you know a lot of great players, and and I think the fifth cup really pointed that out to to the naysayers.
0: Yeah, that's uh, you. You lost the greatest player in the game, but you know, it, you still have a heck of a team, and and actually, we had Grant Grant Fury on last week, and he, he this is what he had to say about that
1: that team and we still had a great leader in mess and i think that's the other thing is we were spoiled over the years we had mess and Gretz as leaders so when they traded wayne we still had mess so we still had probably one of the ultimate best leaders in the game and it was a matter of we had to prove to people that we were still a good hockey team and
2: and
0: that you did right and and so then after five Stanley Cups in Edmonton, you win that 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 fifth Stanley Cup. Did you feel like at that point you had you had proved something? Did you guys feel like you had proved something?
1: You know, within I guess within a year. You know, like for me, once the season ended, it was over, and and you know, you put the work in in the summer, and and uh, you had something to prove the next year. Like anybody that that plays pro sports, if if you're not ready, you you got to be ready, uh, twice as ready in the next season because of course everybody wants to knock you off. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I mean, we went on to, of course, we didn't win another cup in Edmonton, but we went to the semifinals the following years after the '90 Cup. We went to the semifinals in '91 and we went to the semifinals in '92. So there was a, there was a lot of pride in there. There was a lot of, a lot of commitment. A lot of you know, um, uh, you know, we we had, as 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 Fierzy said, you know, uh, and he makes a good point. You know, the leadership started from the early days. Ron Chipperfield, Lee and, you know, into Wayne and in the mess, into uh, you know, myself. Craig McTavish was there by then, and you know, it just the leadership and the and the commitment um, uh, to be successful just. It's like the Red Wings, I guess, in some respects when Steve Eisman was there, you know, they won all those cups. Didn't matter who was wearing the jersey. Uh like the Montreal Canadiens in their Heyday, uh or heydays, uh you know, yeah. you're you're playing, you're putting that jersey on. You're you're you know, you uh it really didn't matter who had it on, uh it just, you know, it elevated you to want to play at a higher level.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I forgot about that. I think you lost to Chicago, Minnesota, in the next two years, but two teams that went to the Cup final, and that was, uh, so it was still a pretty good team. And then, of course, the Rangers come along, and they say, "Hey, we want some of that." <laughs> so uh, that formula. So they bring you and Messier in, and uh, and it works, and it clicks, and you get that uh, that next Stanley Cup with 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 the with the Rangers. Tell us about that experience in Manhattan.
1: Well, of course, Mess was there for a couple of years <clears throat> prior to me. I want to say uh, he left in the 91, 92. So maybe it was just the one year I, I, I can't forget our history. But uh, for me, uh, it was time to leave Edmonton. Uh, uh, although I probably would have stayed if Glenn Saylor wanted to pay me more. But uh, uh, And I had to, he gave me two choices. Uh, I had to sit out for about three months of the season to sort of get moved eventually. Uh and he actually uh came to me and said he had a, he had a deal with the Montreal Canadians and he had a deal with New York Rangers. And um <clears throat> so of course I picked the Rangers because Mess was there, Jeff Pucum was there, Adam Graves was there. And uh, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me the the Canadians go on to win the cup that particular year. So <laughs> it looked like I made a mistake and then uh and then we were fortunate to win the cup the following year with the Rangers. But it, it, that that was, that's one of my, for sure, top five highlights of my career is that cup. And and, and mainly because of, uh, well, for another, you know, a lot of reasons to, to, to win another cup, to win a cup in Broadway, Rangers hadn't won in 54 years, but also, you know, messed at, for him to take his rightful place in, in being one of the greats of all time in the game. I mean, we all knew it playing with him, I think. Most of the league knew how good Messier was, but I mean, a a lot of players and particularly Mark took a back seat, not because he was forced to, but because I believe he wanted to when, when Wayne was here, I mean, Wayne, you know, we all benefited from being in, in, in Wayne's presence and playing with him all those years. And, and, and really it, it helped us become what we were, but we also knew how good Mark was. So, for Mark to be able to do what he did in '90 with the Oilers, and then to do it again in '94 with the Rangers, it, w- it was really special. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, I knew how badly he wanted it. I mean, I wanted it just as bad because, as I said earlier, that's the goal every year to win the Cup. But uh, it was real special to be able to do it with him. And of course, Glenn Anderson, um, another great friend and longtime Oiler teammate, for for the three of us to be able to win our sixth Cup. And guys like uh, Craig McTavish and Essa Ticken and Jeff Buka. And Adam Graves, so, uh, you know, seven Oilers, uh, former Oilers. Uh, I, I must mention Mike Hudson, who had played for the Oilers, hadn't won a cup, but Mike was on that team as well. So that was the, the group of seven Oilers that helped the Rangers win the cup in 94.
0: Right, the magnificent seven. Oilers East. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the uh, now, you, you talk about, you know, how playing with mess, uh, You know, playing with Gretzky, playing with these guys made you better players. Do you think you would have been as good as you were without playing, without having played with these guys?
1: Uh, You know, doubtful. Um, I mean, again, I tell a lot of people this. When we benefited from, you know, people often ask me, who are the toughest players to play against? I'd say, well, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messi, Aaron Curry, Glenn Anderson, every day in practice. You know, we we it elevated our game. You know, you hear Mark, Marty McSorley, you know, coming to the Oilers for the first time and, and A, realizing, oh, I've got a lot of work to do. But he put the work in, you know, improved his skating. Uh, and uh, he spent all kinds of time away from the game trying to improve his game. And there was a lot of guys like that. Kevin McCollum is another one. But they their game elevated by playing with the Oilers. First of all, they had the belief that, hey, I can play at this level. I can play with these guys. I'm on the ice with them every day, but it, it, uh, you know, you're just naturally getting better being on the ice with them all the time. So, uh to your question, I mean, who will ever know it's a chicken and the egg question. Um, you know, was, was, was Gretzky as great as he was, um, uh, you know, because did he make the Oilers great or, or did the Oilers help make him great? And I think it'll always be a combination of both.
0: Right. Yeah. And, I mean, you guys—you had a lot of guys like yourself who really wanted to win, and it, it, you, you indicated that in practices. It was no, it was no easy going because everybody there wanted to win. Uh, so you end up back in Edmonton, uh, where you retire in 1998 uh, with 1,037 regular season games, uh, another 172 playoff games, both club of records for the Oilers. Uh, you took a job as assistant coach right after you retired. Was that an easy transition for you to make?
1: yeah I was ready by then. um <clears throat> when I came back from New York, I actually signed a deal um so the the I still had a little gas in the tank, I guess at thirty seven years old um, uh, actually, the Calgary Flames were trying to sign me, and I actually considered signing with the flames but after a you know a couple months of thinking about it in the off season, I woke up one morning and thought I can't play for the flames in the meantime, I think Glenn Seder. Well, you know, whatever. had Glenn come around on that, I guess he figured he didn't want to see me playing in Calgary. So he decided to offer me a contract. But what he did say is, well, what do you want? And I said, well, you know, a lot of play. But yeah, but what else do you want? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, what do you want to do after hockey? I said, well, i probably like to coach. He said, all right, well, we'll give you, if you come back, we'll give you a contract to coach. So I actually signed a one-year contract to play with the Oilers and a two-year contract to coach. Now there was no job description in in the coaching part, and there was no expectations it was you know my assumption of that deal was that I'd be given an opportunity I'd be one of you know in within the coaching staff and um, and you know earn my stripes uh, uh, you know apprentice along the way and learn about the game and uh, that particular year uh, when I did go back and play the orders had made the playoffs for four years and we made the playoffs and I had a decent season so Glenn extended it for another year pushed my, my coaching uh, back. And and then uh, uh, the, the 97, 98 year was my last year. Um, I was, I was ready for it. You know, I was, I'd played 19 years. I, I knew that my playing days were behind me. I was one of the, was not one of those professional athletes and still thought I could play because, you know, those last number of years, it was difficult just to be ready every day to play and try to play at a, at a decent level. So I was ready to move on and, and really fortunate that, you know, Glenn gave me that opportunity.
0: And then, uh, yeah, then you became head coach, uh, your name, head coach a year later. Not, did you enjoy that gig? It was pretty good. I mean, you made the playoffs in your, your, your only season as a head coach.
1: You know, I loved it. And, and, um, <clears throat> um, what happened was Glenn was general manager. And, uh, of course he made the move to New York and I actually had an, you know, I had an out in my contract. Um, uh, I wasn't, when I signed back with the Oilers, um, I really didn't know the ownership and, and I wanted to make sure that if Glenn wasn't going to be there, then, you know, I had the choice to sort of be there or not. Uh, Cal Nichols was the, uh, the chair and one of the own, chair of the Oilers, uh, uh, uh it was was actually the the group was called the Edmonton Investors Group who who kept the team in town bought it from Peter Popkinson Kyle Nichols was the chair he came to see me when Glenn was leaving and and uh, they wanted me to stay and they they wanted me to offer me the general manager's job and uh Craig McTavish was my assistant coach at the time and and I knew that he was more than ready to be a head coach and you know everything just fell into place uh um <clears throat> In hindsight, uh, only today I never, never thought about it uh, uh, until in recent years. I, yeah, I did enjoy coaching. I really enjoyed that, uh, and I wanted. It's not like I aspired to be a general manager, but you know, my decision to be to become general manager at that time was really just about you know trying to keep the oiler organization intact, and and uh, you know, every, like I said, everything fell into place. Craig McTavish was there, ready to be a head coach. Uh, I had some good people in the organization that helped mentor me uh, in terms of being a GM. So, you know, I was just moving on with with what I thought was was the right move and uh, never regretted that at all. Uh, but, you know, I see guys that are my age or older coaching still to this day. And I'm thinking, well, wow, I wonder if I stayed coach, if I'd still be coaching. Uh, I, I did enjoy that part. And I I, I think I did it well. Uh, I understood, um, players i was i was demanding i think as a coach but certainly respectful and 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 probably uh you know wasn't afraid to tell the players uh wasn't afraid to communicate what i thought was necessary for them to hear uh only because you know almost like a father speaking to a son hey listen this is the way it is this, is, this there's no hidden agenda here it's not like i dislike you it's not like whatever it just was was more than willing to have that frank conversation with the player. Uh, in terms of their game and how I saw their game relative to what uh, what they should be doing on the ice.
0: Well, as a, as a guy who never played a day in the minors, uh, was it hard for you as a general manager to send guys down?
1: Uh, it was, yeah, <clears throat> it really was. You know, it, it's it's a tough league. Uh, I mean, professional sports at the highest level and regardless of what the sport is, it's, it's, uh, you know, when you get to the top of the pyramid, it's, there's not a lot of room at the top, right. There's not a lot of jobs. And, and, uh, and I, you know, even now I have a son who's still playing pro hockey, played a, you know, had played a few games in the NHL, but played mostly in the American league is playing Europe now. And, you know, he's, he put the time in, he's one of the hardest workers, uh, I've ever been around. Uh, totally committed. Uh, he was the most conditioned uh, player in the Oilers camp two years in a row. Uh, and they have, you know, have a metric for that type of thing. But my point there uh, is, you know, how many kids are like, how many players are like that, that have tried to make it to the NHL, put the effort in, committed, you know, good athletes, good players, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out. So, um, you know, I always felt. I, I, as your question was, was it tough sending guys in the minors, and yeah, it was because, you know, that's their dream. But, but again, I always tried to emphasize, like, you know, work ethic and commitment, and and you know, the desire. If you have it, you you you'll find a way to get back to the NHL. All right,
0: I got to ask you about your spat with Brian Burke. Okay, it was over the uh, the Dustin Petter, uh offer sheet. Uh, now Berkey lost his mind. know, yeah, well, He really went after you. He called you all kinds. Of, I mean, you were backed off pretty good. I like the, the patience you showed, but eventually, uh, you, you, you called him an, uh, I think underachieving media junkie <laughs> was what he was. <laughs> uh, Burke said he wanted to rent a, rent a barn and have a, and have a, have a, have a scrap you and him duking it out. Uh, how close to that did it actually come?
1: Well, we never did see one another face to face, so and we never did speak with one another. So, um, I'll—I'm uh, not going to go into too much detail because I'd like to write a book one day. So, I'll, I'll attribute yeah, a fair okay. amount of that space in that book. But I will say this: uh, it was kind of hilarious. I remember Dean Lombardi was a GM of the Kings at the time, and um, so this—you know—this had been going on for some weeks or months, actually. And, uh, you know, the media were, were having a field day with it, which Berkey loved, of course. And and because uh, he did love being in the media. And and so I'm talking with Dean Lombardi one day about, you know, just about what general manners talk about, you know, what what can we do? Yeah. What are you looking for, et cetera, et cetera. And at some point, Berkey's name comes up and, and, he, and he says to me, he goes, you know, that thing with you and Berkey, he said, that you get it. you guys that's just a put on right you guys are just you just kind of like like joking around and and I, was, I said to Dean I said like no no Dean I I don't think so at least not from my end I mean he I think Berkey's pretty serious but he I mean Dean uh, uh Dean was completely flabbergasted that that you know that that sort of behavior was coming out of a couple of gender managers so no Gary Bettman put an end to all that uh he he reached out to uh Glenn Sather and Glenn reached out to me. Uh, uh, interesting that he'd go to Glenn and not come to me directly. But anyhow, that's, that's all water under the bridge. And it never really, it never did get to that. And I think it, it provided, well, hey, listen, we're still talking about it today. So I guess it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those moments in, in NHL history that people remember. <clears throat>
0: uh, you probably, I'm just going to guess that maybe if it had to come to that, you, you, you wouldn't have had any problem. Uh, showing up at the barn, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: and you know, and that, that's part of like, Berkey has a different. Of course, Berkey and I were on good terms. Uh, um, it's been a long time. Uh, you know, that's all in the past. But he he has a different account to how all that started. He <clears throat> he said to me, and he said publicly that I challenged him and uh i can't i don't have no recollection of that i don't know if i'd ever of course i would never do that um so that that's that's one of the uh uh one of the disputes i have with him on terms of how things happen but uh um yeah it it it, you know we were i wouldn't say we're great friends but we had a good respect for one another he uh uh I think he got his nose out of joint because he took me fishing one time, and he didn't think that I should poach any of his players. but uh, <laughs> I, I i the one thing I do remember is um you know, hey, for us, we were just I was just trying to do whatever we could to try to make the orders better and and uh I mean, you know my brother could be could be the other general manager, my mother could be the other general manager, I'd be doing the same thing, so uh yeah. he shouldn't have taken it personally.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Kevin Lowe likes to win. We, we, we know that for sure. Uh, uh, you guys came close in 2006. So that was a good lot of fun. Now, you played with Wayne Gretzky and you drafted Connor McDavid. Which player would you rather have to start a franchise with? <laughs> I yeah. mean, who's Connor?
1: Well, <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I was I wasn't general manager when the Oilers drafted Connor, but I I suspect if I was, I would have made that pick.
2: <laughs> you yeah. know,
1: he's an amazing player, and and uh, he's been so good for the game. He's so been so good for the Oilers franchise, and uh, you know, you can see his game. It, it's evolving like he's playing at another level this year, and uh, I I I wouldn't be surprised if he has many more levels like he uh, I mean, those guys do it. And what they have is they have a desire to be, to be the best. And in order to be the best, uh, um, uh, generally it's always nice if you have a cup or two on your resume. So, uh, that bodes well for the Oilers. Uh, I mean, where they are right now is, uh, uh not that they're in a real comfortable position, but I, you know, they're going to make the playoffs, my estimation. And, uh, and uh, I think with the experiences that they had in the last couple of years, they they should be in a good position to challenge for it again. But, um, you know, the Cups are a big thing. I mean, Wayne Gretzky said it to me a long time ago. He had By then, he had won three scoring races, uh, championships. Uh, he was the NHL MVP, you know, played in the All-Star Game, all these accolades, individual accolades. And I remember him saying that, you know, you know, none of that matters. I mean, if you want to be recognized as one of the greats, you know, with with Orr and Howe and Belleville, Lafleur, those types of guys, um, you have to win the Stanley Cup. And and uh, so Wayne was driven to win the Stanley Cup and to lead. And that's I see that in Connor now. I think you know he's been a good leader all along, but but his leadership on the ice, uh, trying to you know within games. I mean, he's he's always tried to win games, but now he's he even even takes it to another level in terms of being a little more physical and stuff like he did last year in the playoffs. I thought the owners, um, I thought they're, they're, um, they became a different team when, when all of a sudden in the LA series, uh, Connor became, you know, much more physical on the puck and you could tell that he wanted to win. And, um, and obviously the other players fell in the, uh, followed his lead and, um, you know, they ran up against a juggernaut in Colorado. But um, again, those are all learning moments for, for players like that. And, and I, I hope that he's fortunate enough to be able to win uh, not just one cup, but but cups before the end of his career.
0: It's been 30 years since the Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup. Why is it taking so long? And is it going to be the Oilers who, 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 who break that streak, that lousy streak?
1: Yeah, well, the, the Canadians were the last in 93 the montreal canadians and lots of teams have got to the finals and some have got to game seven like we did in 06 Calgary we did in 05 um yeah i mean now there there's many more american teams so it's, it's a combination of uh the odds are are less uh uh than they were and you know in in, in 19 uh in 1984, there was only 21 teams in the NHL, and and um, and seven of them were in in in, in Canada. Uh, why is it? I, I have no idea. I think it's more coincidence than anything. You know, why have the Toronto Maple Leafs not won in 54 years? And uh, why did the New York Rangers not win in 54 years? It's it's tough to win. And, uh, you know, let's hope we can end this, uh, you know, end this run of not winning, bringing the cup back to Canada. Uh, but, I mean, you know, the, the Americans, uh, it's funny how they think it's, you know, like, well, it's it's the Americans winning. Well, no, typically it's at least half their team, if not more, are Canadians on that particular American yeah. team that's winning the Stanley Cup. So I don't get caught in that debate too much.
0: Yeah, that's true. It, it is very true. So, a big, big couple, uh, big couple of years for you. Uh, you were honored recently. Uh, first of all, a year ago, this past November, uh, you had your number four race to the rafters at uh, and and at Rogers Place Arena. Beautiful ceremony. Uh, what was it like to look up there and see your name up there with uh, the among the Oilers elite?
1: Yeah, I, I can't see a dream come true because you don't dream about those types of things. Um, uh, really. The, the whole night was special. Um, uh, it's great having your, your longtime friends and teammates. Uh, uh, there sharing with you. I know a lot of them are happy. I mean, they, they knew my place with the, you know, the great oiler teams and, what I did, um, I, you know, wasn't always uh, uh, certainly not in point production or anything of like that. But in terms of, you know, doing everything I can to help the team win. Uh, but what what's most special is at, at that stage. I mean, I was 19 or 20 years being eligible to go in the Hall of Fame, and, and it took that long. Again, not that I was expecting it, but at that point, my all my children were, were young adults to have them there uh my, my only regret is my my best fan my mother uh had passed um so she wasn't there to 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 recognize uh or to see it all and and you know my mom was as you mentioned at the outset of this interview that my dad passed away when i was 13 and you know i mentioned you know mentors and i didn't mention my mom i mean to, for for her to to have a 13 year old my other Three siblings were off uh, at university and and not living in La Chute. so it was my mom and I and and uh, she kept me on the straight and narrow and and drove me to the hockey games. But I mean, she was she was a good Canadian hockey mom. I remember when I phoned her up to say I was I was voted to play in the All Star game um, before we won the Cup that year. And uh, you know, I was so excited to call her and say, "Mom, I'm I'm going to the NHL All Star game. I'm going to be playing the All Star game." and she was like oh that's nice dear that's that's nice and i'm like, like mom like that's a big thing like are, why not she goes ah she says i'll get really excited when you win the stanley cup someday so i guess you know maybe there's a subliminal messaging that drove me as an athlete But i can't you know can't satisfy my mom unless i win a cup so and then you know post career post playing career into my management days and you know it was in the media that i was eligible for a lot of years and of course the Hall of Fame would come and go and, and I never got elected. And, and, and she, she would say to me, hold me up and say, you're going to get in, mark my words, you'll get in there someday. And I was like, Hey mom, like it, it really doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled with what I was able to achieve in my career. Uh, I'll trade the cups in for the Hall of Fame any day. Uh, But as I said, in my induction speech, I, I used to say that, and I might have lied a bit because it meant a lot to to actually go in the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, you know, uh, the following week after having your banner raised, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame, and and we do have a little bit of that speech that we'd like to run for you. Vic, if you can roll that.
2: What really was unbeatable, what made us unbeatable for a long time, was the preparation from our coaching staff, of which John Muckler and Ted Green led the way. I'm indebted to Lee Fogelin, my first defense partner and mentor, for my first eight years with the Oilers, and to Craig Muni for the next seven years. Craig McTavish and Craig Simpson, best friends to this day. Along with Billy Moores and Charlie Huddy, we shared so many memories together in our management run, and also a cup run in 2006. We came one game short of another cup. Seven would have really sounded nice. Six is okay. To my fellow cup winner, five cup winners with the Oilers, Charlie Huddy and Randy Gregg, it was an honor to have patrolled the blue line with you. And we all remember from time to time, it was very, very lonely back there. And also a special thank you to Neil Smith and the New York Rangers organization for bringing our group, the group of seven, seven former Oilers to Broadway to help end that 54-year 50, yeah, Stanley Cup drought. Maybe the Leafs should get us. I just couldn't resist <laughs>
0: ah, yeah, of course not, yeah, so uh wow, that was what what a night, what a night, what a night, I was there, it was a lot of fun, yeah, so Kevin uh, yeah speak. speaks, yeah, go ahead, I thought, yeah,
1: n- no, I was just gonna say it was uh, uh it was. Fantastic night, but um you could tell my my voice is a little raspy and it was not because I was out celebrating. I actually had a cold. And uh I remember meeting uh Gary uh Bedman down in the green room uh just before we went out there and hadn't seen him a long time and he came up to shake my hand. And I said, oh Gary, uh uh you know, I've got a cold, so I better not shake your hand. And he looks at me, and goes, You don't have COVID, do you? <laughs> 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 and I, and I and I uh, I said no no I I've, I've tested I don't have COVID that you know that was right in the middle of all that craziness but um, yeah it was it was was a great great memory but a little frustrating that I I you know I could barely hear myself up there because I was so congested.
0: Oh, man, it, w- it was awesome, Kevin. It was uh, just beautiful. I know that you, you know your, your wife Karen Percy, two-time Olympian. You're really proud of your family. You got five kids. You mentioned a hockey player. Who's playing in Europe now? You got a filmmaker in the brood, uh, uh, a great family, and, and uh, you uh, certainly deserve all the accolades. You were a great owner, a great player, and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And great executive as well. It's been a, an absolute pl- pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Oh, thanks very much. Appreciate uh, you taking the time, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime down the road. After Connor McDavid wins his first Stanley Cup,
0: we'll we'll have you on after Connor wins the cup, and uh, we'll have you on when you uh, when your book comes out. And uh, okay, so the Leafs, the Leafs, to the Orders, who's got the better shot this year?
1: <laughs> uh, you know i i i I want to say the uh, I want to say they're pretty close. I mean, I know. I mean, I. I I took a bit of a shot at the Leafs, but uh, you know what a what a you know historic organization and and the fans are some of the best in hockey. Um, the order is not dissimilar, the sort of the Western version of the Leafs, I suppose. But I see them, you know, in a similar position, and I think they both have a have a, have a good chance of, of winning the cup.
0: Be a great can- uh, Stanley Cup final, wouldn't it? Orders and Leafs,
1: we be watching. That all. would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I right. really they upset the Americans.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> All <laughs> right. All right. Listen, Kevin, thank you so much. And, and uh, it's been a slice. Thank you, sir. You're really welcome. Right. More thank you. More sports when we come back. Thanks, Kevin. Addiction Rehab Toronto. Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com. And check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options become a member today and your first bet is free that's hpibet.com visit moregolf.ca you'll find everything a golfer could need from balls gloves clubs custom fitting opportunities training gear valuable accessories and some great deals looking for that perfect gift idea for the golfer in your life go to moregolf.ca today 3 quarters in 127 and 3 29-second speed in that third quarter, and it's Lily's last. Now, my Costa Swiss pick of the week. Last time I went with a long shot. Pat's MVP in Thursday's fourth race at Mohawk. She went off at 53-1. to Ah, uh, that never happened. Lily's last. The 9-5 favorite with Tyler Jones in the buggy held off a late challenge from She's Beer League in 157-1. Patrick Hunt praised Lily's last and co-owns the Philly. The 5-6 exactly returned $44.10. This week, I'm looking at Thursday night's third race at Mohawk, a Philly and Mares trot. And I like the six-horse, Barzy, who finished with a bang to pull it a victory last week at 9-1. to one. I also like the 6-7-8 and tri box. For all the racing updates, visit COSA TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. This is the Excellent Sports Adventure. Brought to you by Rycom. It was a busy week for the Maple Leafs. Back-to-back dates. First home to the Red Wings. A power play. Morgan Riley to Austin Matthews. Big blast stop. But the rebound squirts to Mitch Marner. Marner rips home his 15th of the season. His 500th career point. And Justin Hall headman's for Kelly Yarncroft over to John Tavares. Johnny T had a pair that was three goals in two games. He added another in the next game. Buds bury the wings four to one. Next night, lace at Philly. Marner beats cross saves to Connor Timmins. His long-range wrister goes top shelf. Timmins' first NHL goal. Mitch with three helpers. Now shorthanded, Kelly Yarncroft gets the puck back to Timothy Lilligren. Buries it. Buds flush Philly six to two.
2: Yeah, it's been good. Um, you know, we still want to improve on some things of just bring it every night, make sure it's the same consistency. But um, you know, I think we're happy with where we're at and we're happy that uh, we know we still got better and we're in a good spot.
0: What is it? a couple of good young there? Dubois wins back. and Jessica Winnipeg, home side on the board, check Pierre Luke Dubois. Nick Eaters get the puck to Kyle Connor in the slot. Connors third of the night, twentieth of the season. Jets jolt the nucks seven four, their fifth straight win. The Toronto Six took their act in Montreal this weekend for a pair of games, and they swept them both. Katie Tabin gives to Brittany Howard, the Premier Federation's Player of the Week, spots Emma Woods, Woods second of the game, six, break the four-three-two. three, two, Toronto improves to nine, one, and two. What a fun tournament. What a fun team. It was an excellent event all around it. You know what? A perfect ending to the World Junior Hockey Championships overtime against that scrappy team from Czechia. Grant Clark ahead of Dylan Gunther over to Joshua Warrah, Back to Gunther. Second of the night. Canada wins the thriller 3 2. Connor Bedard solidified his number one ranking in the summer's draft. Thomas Millich has heard a look from the NHL. Hey, let's do it again next year. It was one of the wildest games in franchise history. Raptors trailing the Bucs by 14 points with a minute to go. But the Dinos would rally. Gary Trent Jr. with terrific work down the stretch. Hits a clutch triple with less than a second to go. Ties it up. Unfortunately, the Bucs won in overtime. But what a game. All right. Next time out against the Knicks, the Reps, another rally from 16 down. Another good night for Trent. Tough triple, Junior at 27, but the rally falls four points short. They did manage to bounce a brutal Blazers side, but I'd say, hey, go for the draft pick, guys. Well, the Blue Jays have added another left-handed bat with a little bit of pop, signing Brandon Belt for one year at $9.3 million. The 34-year-old first baseman has spent his entire 12-year career with the Giants. He won a couple of World Series titles. He is said to be an excellent clubhouse guy but he's coming off right knee surgery. Could be a bargain find for the Blue Jays. A solid start to the 2023 season for the Toronto Rock. Uh, Rock rolled into Uniondale where they hung a licking on the New York Rapids. Tom Schreiber scored twice, added five helpers. Here's a sweep behind the feet, back feet for Stephen Keough. Keough had the Hattie as the visitors overcome a slow start on the way to crushing the tides, 15-7. The Rocker two and two. They host Halifax on Saturday night. Time now for our shot of the week. God damn it. Four. It's Mickey up there. The ball is rolling towards, tracking towards the green. And there's four. But look at that ball, look yourself. Today's environmental tip, plant a tree. Trees produce oxygen and improve air quality. Trees take in carbon dioxide and store harmful carbon. Trees prevent soil erosion and help lessen flooding. Trees lower temperature by providing shade and cooling water evaporation. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions for public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future proof smart buildings from the ground up. The latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future. And we wanna thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates and all around great folks. We highly recommend them all. And thank you for your support of Canadian and local sports. A reminder, the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network, Zingo TV and Buzz TV Live. Also, you want to check out our YouTube channel. Past shows are available. Weekly sportscasts, all kinds of excellent, cool segments. Like and subscribe. It's free. Thanks once again to Kevin Lowe for dropping by the show. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by Brian Gribbon Insurance Planning,
1: helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning.
0: Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did, 905-686-5678. Do you wanna buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to over-promise and over-deliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416-GET-ALDO or visit getaldo.com. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves in response to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports, Top of the line, imported men's clothing.
1: Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com.